Hello, everybody, and welcome to From the Mezzanine. I'm your host, Lindsay Stone, and let's get into this week's episode. How's everybody doing? I am doing good. It has been kind of a weird week here, and I'm going to credit that to Daylight Savings Time, which we're all experiencing now, and if I could have my way, it would not exist, but I'm really going through it because in New York, it gets dark at four o'clock. And that is just something that I've never experienced before and personally do not like like to jump to conclusions for a second. I can't wait to talk to you guys about this, but I saw spam a lot today and I saw the matinee and we got out at four o'clock. Great time to get out of a show. The whole day is ahead of you. And it was dark outside. Like, this is not the way I want to exit a matinee, honey. Like, I'm I'm sick of this already and I've had one week of daylight savings in New York, but I'm sure I'll get used to it. But aside from that, it has been just a mighty fine week and I have a little bit of a surprise slash announcement to make, but I think I'm going to have it wait until after I break down Spamalot because I want to keep y'all waiting just a little bit, but I have some very exciting news that I think some of y'all are going to get excited about. Okay, but we will save that until after we do a Spamalot recap. So, folks, I finally saw Spamalot. I say finally like it's been on Broadway for forever, but I it opened just a couple of weeks ago. It's still in previews, and I am was so excited to see this show. I won the lottery for it, and I think I had only entered for a couple of shows and I won. So if you're wanting to see this show, I would definitely recommend the lottery for it. Our seats were in the rear mezzanine to the right. They weren't bad, but they weren't excellent. But they certainly weren't like a good price because we paid $44 after taxes and everything. So that was definitely a good deal to see Spamalette. And I was really excited about this casting. I was like, okay, they've got Christopher Fitzgerald, the original Bach from Wicked. How cool. James Monroe Eagleheart, a Broadway legend that I've always wanted to see. Um, I was really excited to see Ethan Slater for reasons that I'm certain you guys can understand. This elusive man who we've heard so much about. And I was like, what? What is that going to be like? Is it, How is he going to be like? This is interesting, right? Will we see Ariana Grande? Won't we? What's the deal? Um, I was very excited to see Taryn Killam, of course, the SNL alum that plays Sir Lancelot. But I, there was a lot of excitement behind seeing this cast. And I will say the cast was stunning. The cast of Spamalot was amazing. There were certainly some outstanding performances, though. Number one has got to go to Leslie Rodriguez Kritzer. She played the Lady of the Lake and the Lady of the Lake is all of us. Like, I'm obsessed. She was so good. And the Lady of the Lake is not a character that was actually in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So I didn't know what to expect with her character. It kind of seemed like the obligatory like woman role in this male led production, which I kind of think that it was. But at the same time, she played it to the gods. She was so good. And I've never seen her in anything. I know her from Beetlejuice, but I've never seen her perform before. And she blew my socks off. She was so amazing. We actually saw her at the stage door and she was so kind. But her voice is very, very good. She is so comedic. She's too comedic, I would say, for a matinee performance. And she kind of improvs and she let that be known that this was certainly like a matinee sleepy crowd today. Like because she was like singing some song and she was like, oh yeah, this is the matinee. Like you could tell. And I asked her at the stage door, I was like, do you get to improv a lot? She said like within the bounds, I can improv. I was like, that's so cool. Um, But she was amazing. And then secondly, I would say the second place outstanding performers of Spamalot were Ethan Slater 
and Michael Urie, who played Sir Robin. And Ethan Slater played the narrator, the bunny, the like he. Oh, father, the prince. Um, He played a lot, a lot of roles. He was always just coming back on, out on stage in a different role. And I get I get it, Ariana. I get what you see in Ethan Slater after I've seen this show. He is incredibly talented. And any musical theater girly would see him on a stage and just recognize talent. And he was an amazing dancer. He was so funny. He was so comedic. But really, it was like his mannerisms and his movements. He was really, really incredible. And he would embody all of these different roles. And so Ariana, I get it. Like, I finally get it. And I'm glad that I see that. Plus, there is a moment where he's literally like stripped down to his tidy whities And he does have a really nice body, which I, I feel like I'm getting a little PG-13 for from the mezzanine right now. But I was just, it was interesting to see because you're like, Hmm, that's like the person that Ariana is spending all of her time with. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if there are kids in the car while you're listening to From the Mezzanine. Um, but, <laughs> but I just, it was very eye-opening. And now I get it. Like, Ariana is so somebody who is obviously attracted to talent. And after seeing Ethan Slater, he's super duper funny. He's a great actor. And he really was like a shining star in Spamalot. So I completely get it and he was he was amazing he was so hilarious and then Michael Urie played Sir Robin Sir Robin and he was he was super duper funny but there was a lot that surprised me about Spamalot um there was a lot that I liked and of course I just saw it a couple of hours ago and so I'm coming off of that show high that you get you know you leave the Broadway show and you're just thinking to yourself, oh, that was the greatest thing that I've ever seen in my whole life. Oh my gosh. Like, and you're still laughing about all of the parts and everything. And I think with time, spam a lot will the excitement for it might die down a little bit. Like I can see that happening. Um, but it was a very fun show and I grew up on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I was watching that movie probably way, way too young. Um, but there's so much that my family quotes and we're just obsessed with the characters. And so it's it's a story that I love and I know very well in depth. And I think if I hadn't seen the movie before, I would have been like, this is silly. Like, this doesn't make any sense. It is so not a linear story. One minute they're in Camelot. One minute they're in a forest with the knights who say knee. The next minute they're like all scattered about, not together, not a band of knights of the round table and off doing their own thing, you know, fighting the uh, the black knight when his arms fall off. It's merely a flesh wound. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they join forces to go against the demon rabbit. Like, the story is all over the place. And the musical is even more all over the place than the movie. But if you know the movie well enough, it's it's no big deal. And you can follow it and you can figure it out. I'm curious what somebody would think if they hadn't ever seen the movie before. Um, because there's so many lines in it that are so beloved um let's not argue and bicker over who killed who you know and and it comes across so well in the movie and it's really cool to hear them say it like in a theatrical um production but I don't think you would love it if you if you didn't grow up on the movie and honestly like if I saw the movie for the first time right now I don't think that I would understand it and get the hype 
But since I grew up on it, then it, it's different, you know, because you don't question why things are funny. You're just like, it's nostalgic and it makes you laugh. And they really do Monty Python and the Holy Grail well. They have all of the big scenes in it other than the salamander part. Wait, I just realized you'll know in Monty Python when the townspeople all gather together in a crowd and they're trying to figure out if the woman is a witch. She's a witch. That scene is not in it. That's not in it. That's one of my favorite scenes. There's a lot that's not in it. And I was saying after the show, I was telling my boyfriend that it's a lot more of a PG version of Monty Python. It is not as risque, as offensive, um, and as crass as the movie. The movie could be, you know, pretty crazy in that sense. And the Broadway version is incredibly more PG. I wouldn't even say it's PG-13. Like it has some innuendos here and there, but it's definitely like more chilled out and subdued, um, which I don't necessarily mind at all. That's totally fine with me. Um, but honestly, what really makes it is the cast. I think the cast was really, really good. James Monroe Eagleheart played a great King Arthur. He was so, you know, powerful and funny. It's just funny to see this great Broadway star who is so respected and has such a presence. I mean, he's a big guy. He he demands your respect and and he's so talented, like be in spam a lot and be so silly and let loose like it's 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 pretty funny um but yeah overall I thought it was this is my first interaction ever with spam I'd never seen it before and so um overall like I, I do think that it was good I think that I would enjoy seeing it again I don't think that it was life-changing um but the crowd was really enjoying it a lot of people were laughing all around us I can only imagine what like a Friday or Saturday night would be like I'm sure the energy would be super duper fun and yeah I don't know I hope I'm not forgetting anything I think that my major takeaway was that it's definitely a, a more made for Broadway sort of cheesy musical version of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's not as dumb. It's still dumb, but it's not it's not the same, but it's still good. It's still good. If you like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, then you'll definitely like Spam a lot. That goes without saying. Um, but it, it was very fun. OK, I think that that, that wraps up my Oh, I do want to give a shout out to Nick Walker, too. He was our Aaron Burr whenever I saw Hamilton for the very first time. And he played, let me look in my playbill because I can't remember. Oh, yeah, he played Sir Dennis Galahad. And he was really, really good. And he was really kind at the stage door, too. I told him that I saw him when he was in Hamilton. Uh, so, yeah, Spamalot on Broadway. It's still in previews. So I'm certain that I'll see it again. I don't know. I don't know what those reviews are going to say when they have their opening night. I'm very curious to find out. I think the set was great. It was killer. They had a lot of moving pieces. Um, the Camelot scene alone, whenever they go into Camelot and it's like practically Vegas, they even make jokes about, you know, what happens in Camelot stays in Camelot. And um, so that set, like the scene changes were really cool because there's a lot of settings in Monty Python. So there's a lot of settings in Spamalot. Um, and there are so many surprises. I, I haven't talked about that yet. There are so many little things that I do not 
want to give away because when you see it, it's so much cooler if you don't know. But there are a lot of modern jokes. I, I'm not going to say them, but like they they really take you out of the uh, like, when is this set? Like the it's like the Renaissance, right? Is it the Renaissance? That this is set? Um, I can't remember. But it's set in olden, olden times, right? And then they have references that are so relevant to like yesterday, you know? They have a lot of fun little surprises in there that just catch you off guard because you're like, wait a second, like, did they really just reference that like stupid TikTok joke or that video that went viral? Or like, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a hint of a cameo. Um, And I will give this other little tidbit. It would be great if you go and see this and you sit in the front of the orchestra, you may be able to help them find the Holy Grail. Okay, that's all I'm saying. I don't know how they do it every show, but that's how it happened our show. So there's a little tip for you. But yeah, there were so many surprises. And since my family's about to visit next weekend and we potentially are going to see this again, I don't want to give it away to them because there are so many things that they're going to like love about it. Um, But anyways, yes, it's so fun whenever shows have all of these little bitty Easter eggs. And this show has a ton of Easter eggs. You just have to like you just have to be aware of them and and notice them and, and you'll be amazed. But yeah, it was really fun. I love it. I love it when shows, even this is a, a revival, so this is an older show, but they have so many modern references because it just makes the comedy better. It makes it relevant and updated and not feel like you're laughing at a joke that was made decades ago because honestly, comedy changes so quickly. That was a major problem I had with Phantom of the Opera when they would crack a joke or what seemed like it was supposed to be a joke. And I was like, this was written 30 years ago. This joke does not hold up now. And there were so many forced laughs. So anyway, Aziz, that's my recap of Spamalot. Always look on the bright side of life. It was good. It was cute. It was super duper cute. Um, I'm I'm not like advocating for it crazy hard, but I certainly enjoyed it and would recommend seeing it if you like Monty Python. Okay, now I'm gonna tell you all my surprise because I'm so excited. Okay, folks. So my gorgeous, gorgeous FTM listeners, I love y'all so dearly, and I have obviously been giving FTM a facelift. We've been working hard. I've got new equipment. And I've got a new setup and a lot of things are changing. But at the end of the day, all that's happening is the quality is going up and everything else is staying the same. Still your girl, still your girl, your Texas girl that moved to the big city. But the announcement is that I'm going to have some new show art coming in probably the next month. Um, Likely not when the next episode comes out. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I'm so excited. I'm doing a photo shoot tomorrow to get the show art and it'll the show will still be called From the Mezzanine, Don't You Worry, but we're just going to have some much more appealing show art. So enjoy the beautiful curtain and the chair logo as much as you can for the next couple of weeks because it is going to be changing. It's still going to look just as cute, don't you worry. Uh, But I thought that it was time. It was time to upgrade from my little graphic that I created when uh, the show began. And I had no idea that when I would move to New York, the show would pop off. And now we're here. We need some some updated graphics. And so, ta-da, I'm going to get some. And I'll post on Instagram once I have them done and y'all can get a first look 
look at it. And uh, yeah, so we have that to look forward to. There's so much that's changing, but that's mainly like the last piece of the puzzle for FTM's um, glow up. And so, yeah. Get excited, folks. I'm so excited to tell you guys that. And uh, I'm I'm just excited for the future of FTM with all of these little tweaks and upgrades. You know, it's all just for the quality of the show. And, and I hope you'll love it just as much as I do. I have like the coolest vision for it. Um, and I can't wait to show it to y'all. So we have that to look forward to. Yay! With that exciting news, guys, let's head into Broadway Grosses. This is for the week ending in November 5th. And to kick it off, we have Lion King at number one. Number two, we have Wicked and Merrily We Roll Along is number three. Just pennies behind Wicked, y'all. Just a mere $20,000 behind Wicked. So it won't be long until they surpass it, which is mind boggling considering, listen to this, folks, Wicked for the whole week. They sold 13,600 seats. Merrily We Roll Along for the entire week sold like just a little over half that, 7,700 seats. And so even with 6,000 seats in between, Wicked is just barely above them. So they've sold nearly half. I'm saying this in so many different ways. I know this is getting, (laughs) I feel like I'm trying to make it like, like more easy to understand, but I think I'm only making it harder. But So they've sold way less and are making nearly the same amount of money, which just goes to show how expensive these tickets are. I'm really hoping that next week when my family comes and visits, we're able to see Merrily We Roll Along. But I looked at the tickets this week and the cheapest one I want to say was like 320. And that is simply not going to happen. What is worth if you're going to be in the back of the theater. I totally understand. It's your birthday. I mean, when we saw Aaron Tveit for the last time, we paid $250 for that. But I I totally get that. However, if you are going to be in the back of the theater and pay $300 for Merrily We Roll Along, it does not compute. I don't understand. Granted, it's a smaller theater. So if you are in the back, the seats aren't going to be nearly as bad. But I do want to see this show. It's got so much hype. I love Jonathan Groff. I love Lindsay Mendez, Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, he's the reason that the tickets are so high. I need to find a day when he's on vacation and maybe the tickets are a little bit cheaper. I would want to see him. Don't get me wrong. But dang, like, oh, that is just really, really expensive, Marilee. You could just give me like a PR ticket. They're like, we don't need your PR. Okay, so yes, Marilee was number three, 100% capacity. They are the only show on this week's Broadway grosses with 100% capacity. That's pretty stellar. Right below Marilee is, say it with me now, Hamilton. We all know what the top four consist of. And then MJ is five, meaning Sweeney Todd has now been bumped down to six. Moulin Rouge is still seven. That's amazing. Aladdin is eight. Harry Potter is nine. And Back to the Future is 10. Guys, Back to the Future is really doing well. Their capacity is 88%. So that's like mm, wishy-washy. That's okay. And uh, just want to note this too. Sweeney Todd's capacity is also 87%. So while they are number six, they only have 87% capacity. They don't have a full house. So that's pretty interesting. Um, Should we look at what's at the bottom? I hate to do it. We're only going to look at the musicals because plays 
don't compare to like big Broadway musicals. So let's look at what shows are at the bottom. So the lowest musical, surprisingly, guys, is Harmony. Whew, that makes me feel really bad. That just like actually made my heart hurt a little bit because this is a brand new show. It is still in previews. Maybe once it has its opening, get some rave reviews, then it'll pop up. I hope that that happens for Harmony, but I have heard really good things about this show. I want to see this show. I was actually planning on seeing it this weekend, but it didn't It didn't happen because we got the Spamalot tickets. But to be at the bottom and you just opened, gosh, that makes me sad. Um, And then right above that is Kimberly Akimbo which doesn't really surprise anybody. It's in a, a puny theater. And then just above that is Town. That's not good. And then above that is Chicago, which, you know, it's going to stick around. It's been on for forever. It's not going anywhere despite its poor Broadway grosses. And then just above that is Shucked. And Shucked has 78% capacity. To give you all an idea, Chicago has 76% capacity. To give you a, a refresher, capacity just means like the percentage of seats that are filled in the theater. Um, Hadestown is 91% capacity. So most of those seats are filled. They're just cheaper tickets. And I don't know. I don't ever understand why Hadestown can be so low when their capacity is pretty much fine. Anyways, Harmony's capacity is 81%. So these are the shows that we need to keep an eye on. They are in jeopardy. Um, Spamalot just opened, so their previews don't reflect a full week of Broadway grosses. So we will stay tuned for next week when Spamalot has a full week of previews, and we'll see how they shake out in the Broadway grosses. Will they be a big mover and shaker? Will they bump into that top 10? I think that they could have the power to do that, very much so in their opening night, I would think. Um, They've got a stellar cast. That theater was full. So I think that they have the star power to do it. They have the popularity and the name Spamalot. I think that they could be a, a a changer in the Broadway grosses, so we will stay tuned. Okay, guys, I'm so excited for our first news story because we got a first full trailer of Mean Girls the Musical, and I have so many thoughts, so let's get into it. Hopefully, we have all seen the trailer this week. It came out last Wednesday, and um, it definitely was not what I was expecting. Last time I talked about Mean Girls, the movie musical on here, I was saying, guys, I'm concerned that this is going to be very teeny boppery and uh, and not high quality. It felt like it was giving like these Netflix teeny bopper movies that just don't have a they're not very dense and they're not great quality. But after I've seen the trailer, I think that this is going to be very high quality. I think it's going to be very good, but I think it is going to exclude a lot of us. And I think that they tried to make that clear when they said, not your mother's mean girls, which was a choice. I am not a mother, but I am 25. I could be a mother. And to offend the group of people who grew up on your movie, in the trailer of the new movie is a very bold thing to do. I am not personally offended. However, I know a lot of people were like, hold on, hold on. Like, this doesn't need to be like a 
a pairing of like old mean girls and new mean girls and what's better like this is built off the back of the original mean girls so we don't need to be putting these two up against each other they're both made from the same creators so why are we being competitive this is just a choice to me it was definitely a choice to come out and say not your mother's mean girls also saying like I don't know it just it rubs a lot of us the wrong way but they're trying to be young and hip and relevant. And I guess because I use the word hip, I am not cool enough for Mean Girls or something. I don't know. But I know what Mean Girls the musical was on Broadway. It was cheesy. It was good. I liked it. But it was cheesy, guys. I mean, come on. The whole song, like, it roars and... Raise them not nice and shy as assaulting my IQ. I'd rather be me. I'd rather be me than be with you. Like these songs, Alex, who is a friend of the pod who came on a lot, she would always say like the lyrics were not good. And I could look past it because I thought they were just fun and I can get behind that. But yes, it is a cheesy, cheesy Broadway show. And now they're turning that on its head and making it very like badass and cool and edgy. And of course, they've got Renee Rapp at the forefront. She's Regina George and she is the queen of cool. And so, of course, they can fit this narrative of making this a very edgy, cool, modern Mean Girls. But at the same time, I don't understand how they are going to bring Broadway Mean Girls and Mean Girls movie musical Mean Girls. How are these two the same? I don't understand. I hope you all are understanding what I'm saying here. But one was very cheesy and this one looks like it's trying to be very cool. And I don't see how those two can go together. So I'm very excited to see how they do that. I know they are going to be removing some songs. I wonder what those songs are. I have a feeling it could be It Roars. Another thought I had on the trailer is the fact that they used an Olivia Rodrigo song behind the like the music to back up the trailer. And I was like, why wouldn't they just use Mean Girls the Musical music? Because a lot of people were left asking, is this a musical? Because it doesn't even say Mean Girls the Musical. It just says Mean Girls. And then the logo just says Mean Girls. And then there's like a um, music note ring at the end of it. So it, they're not even making it obvious that it's a musical. It's so interesting. And obviously, we all know that it is, in fact, a musical. Why wouldn't they use the musical music behind it? They could have done like Meet the Plastics. I could totally see that in the background. My name is Regina George. Like that would have been so good. Instead, they used Olivia Rodrigo, which is just very interesting to me. The song fit. But what kind of musical doesn't use their songs in the trailer? I definitely feel like they're trying to push down the fact that this is a musical, which is the whole point of this movie. So I don't understand. Okay. Renee Rapp looked incredible. I am so excited to see her as Regina George. And at this point, I pretty much scrap everything that I said about the casting being bad. I really was worried that um, the guy who they have playing like Aaron Samuels, he's from The Summer I Turned Pretty. And I thought that he would be a pretty weird casting 
just I can't think of any other word other than teeny boppery. And that's the way that I felt about a lot of the castings. And now I am putting that to the wayside. I, I stand corrected, I feel like. And I think that the casting is going to be really, really good. Jaquil Spivey was incredible in the trailer. He was so funny as Damien. And uh, he had so many good one-liners whenever the teacher is like, what are y'all's French names? And he's like, Sally. Dion. And she's like, no. <laughs> but I think he's going to come out a huge star, which he deserves. He's so great. We know him from A Strange Loop. And this is definitely going to be his starring role. And I think a lot of people are going to fall in love with him. Um, but yeah, I don't know what else I want to say other than the fact that it was surprising to see like all of the TikTok people in the trailer. I was surprised that they would actually put like Chris Olsen in the trailer for it. But they're really trying to present themselves as not your mother's mean girls. And that's what they're doing. So that's interesting. Very interesting. So this movie is going to come out on January 12th. I am so excited to go and see it. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say on the Mean Girls movie musical trailer. We are November, December. We are two months out of seeing this in theaters. So that's super duper exciting. And then we will know what songs were cut. Were their characters cut? Is this still as cheesy as it was on Broadway? It's just like I don't understand how they're going to have the songs and it be similar to broad the Broadway musical. I think, really, guys, I think a lot of it's going to get rewritten. I don't think it's going to be very similar to the Broadway musical because the vibes just do not match. So I think a lot's going to change for real. That wraps up the Mean Girls movie musical trailer recap. Let's head on into our new story number two, which is some very exciting casting news over at the Moulin Rouge. And that is that Boy George, you know, come, 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 is going to be our next Harold Diddler in Moulin Rouge. I am pretty excited about this. I love a fresh new casting over there, especially a fun stunt casting. I think Harold Zidler is the perfect person in the cast to stunt cast. You know, I don't think it needs to be Satine and Christian all the time. Those are such huge, huge roles to the show. And Harold Zidler can be just like a fun person who is thrown in. And Boy George, what's more fun than Boy George, right? But I do have some thoughts, of course. Uh, my first thought was, I know who this person is because my mom always told me about Boy George and we listened to some of his music here and there. And, and I always just grew up knowing who he was. But I truly wonder if a lot of my generation has any clue of who Boy George even is. I kind of don't think so. Everybody knows Karma Chameleon, but I don't think, I don't think anybody's, honestly, if I took a poll, I don't think a lot of people of my age would know who Boy George is. Maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't think so. Um, but I do think that the target demographic of Moulin Rouge, the a lot of their fans will know who he is. And I do think quite a few people may buy a ticket to the show just to see Boy George. However, I think majority of folks would get the ticket and then when they open their playbill, be pleasantly surprised and be like, oh my gosh, we're going to see Boy George tonight. How cool. I don't know how far and wide his fan base stretches. I don't know how this is going to affect, say, their grosses. I don't think it'll be as huge as Titus Burgess. I think Titus Burgess 
is a step up from Boy George, but nevertheless, it's it's an exciting casting. Um, I would want to go and see him in this role. Uh, but this actually is not Boy George's first time on Broadway. His original show that he was in was actually called Taboo, and it was a show that had his own music in it. And it was also, I think, directed and probably produced by Rosie O'Donnell. So they worked together on this show, Taboo. And uh, it was a major flop on Broadway. It was estimated to have lost about 10 million dollars so I'm hoping and praying that this curse whatever happened with this major flop with boy George's music and and his musical does not come and work its way over to the Moulin Rouge whenever he comes over um which I'm sure it's not please God no please no uh but I did think that that was very interesting to learn that after that flop which that show Taboo came out in 2004 uh he hasn't been back to Broadway so it's been over a decade and he's making his comeback. So it's super exciting. It was so funny. I actually like saw a TikTok that was talking about like that he was rumored to be Harold Zidler. And then I happened to be home from work on the day that it was announced back on Monday. And I saw that he was going to be on the Today Show that I was watching. And I was like, oh my God, if this is true, he's going to announce it. And he was like, okay, I have a big announcement. I was like, okay, he's going to be He's going to be Harold Zidler. It's crazy. So he's going to take the stage at the Al Hirschfeld Theater on February 6th and be playing until May 12th. So honestly, February, March, April, May, this is a really short stint. If you want to go and see him, you're going to have to hustle. Uh, And I also thought it was interesting that Casey caught his last performances on February 4th. So these two are two ships in the night passing. They are not going to be on Broadway together. We will have a new Christian cast at Moulin Rouge before Boy George comes on as Harold Zidler. Who will that be? Oh, I wish I knew. I wish it was John Cardoza, but he's going to be in the notebook, so it can't be him. I hope it won't be a stunt casting. It's really interesting, the course that Moulin Rouge has gone down. The fact that they were so steadfast and true to their OBC. Their OBC stayed on for a while. And then once they left, it has been stunt cast after stunt cast. They've gotten some really, really great castings. Some others, eh, it's all right. I, I really haven't heard much about Casey Codd. I haven't seen him myself. Um, so I don't know how he's doing. But... Yeah, it's interesting, the trajectory. They had JoJo, of course, as Satine, who I thought was a really great casting. She was really, really good as Satine. Gave such a wonderful performance. And now with Titus. So they always have like at least one person in the cast who is a big name. But we could bring it back home. Get Aaron back on. Well, that's not going to happen after until after Sweeney. Yeah, he's going to be on Sweeney in February. So he can't come on for a little while. I wonder who it could be. Hopefully they don't recast Derek Kleena because y'all know how I feel about Derek Kleena as Christian. Hmm. Maybe they'll bring Christian from the national tour. That would be nice. And you know what's also interesting? Whenever they cast Titus Burgess, they said Eric Anderson is going to be coming back on after Titus leaves. And now with this casting, what's going on with Eric Anderson? Is he going to come back after Boy George? I don't know. I haven't seen any postings about that. Um, But I hope he does because Eric is an amazing Harold Zidler. I bet he will. I I hope he will. I hope he will. Okay, that's that, folks. Let's head into our last news story of the week, which is some sad, some sad news that Here Lies Love has announced that they are closing on Broadway. This is absolutely no surprise to anybody. I never saw this show. And there is a reason for that. 
I was so excited for it when I was watching everything that was happening over at the Broadway theater when they were preparing for it. They were ripping out all of the orchestra seats to create this club atmosphere and they were going to have these stages in the middle of the like in the middle of the orchestra. It was going to be so immersive and it would be like a dance club vibe and I I was really following everything. I was so into it until it opened and I heard some of the songs and advertisements and performances and I was like this is not the kind of music I want to be dancing around to I don't it's not my vibe and I still have never gone I should probably go before they close just so I could experience it firsthand but there was something about there's some sort of disconnect in that to me that it's this this it's like get on your feet dance around but it's also this story this political story um it's very it's it's an interesting pairing and if you've seen it you can tell me I'm wrong like I just I haven't seen a whole lot of people who say that they love it it's definitely not been making any waves in the Broadway grosses and they invested so much money in it from completely renovating the Broadway theater to coming to Broadway at all. Like it's a very, it's a huge expense. And the fact that they put so much into it and they are not reaping any of the benefits, it is said that they have been losing about $200,000 a week. I really think that they were sticking it out as long as they possibly could just to see. I mean, they, they've been doing a lot of marketing, but I just don't know if it's been working. But it's really interesting and I'm sad that they're going because to me, if you're going to renovate a whole dang theater for your show, you better be sticking around for a while. So I hate that they weren't able to stick around. Um, and they did have some creative tactics that they tried to get people in. They would have like after the show DJ sessions and fun things like that. And to me, that that's actually really appealing because if you're going to have this whole club set up, you know, we need to have club DJs because those things mix. But something about the music that I would hear, I was like, this isn't it. Like, this would work better for Wicked when we could all just, you know, dance around like in our seats to Wicked songs. Something about, or Moulin Rouge, that's that's probably a better fit. Or Anne Juliet, something like, um, like the jukebox musical. That could be a really good club sort of immersive theater vibe of like dancing around and singing along I could imagine right I mean if everybody's on their feet wouldn't they be like talking more and I don't know it's it's an interesting concept and to me the concept did not work out the way that I think could have been very prosperous for them so let's bring it back to the facts here, though. Here Lies Love is going to have their final performance on Sunday at the matinee on November 26th, right around the corner. They're not giving us a ton of time to run and go see it if we wanted to. And at that time, it will have played 300 previews and 150 regular performances. Well, just less than that, 149 regular performances. So they weren't on for a full year. I mean, 149, they really gave it an honest try and it just didn't work out. The show's producers came out with this statement that read, quote, When we started this journey to bring this bold and original work to Broadway, we asked ourselves, can anyone produce on Broadway in a new way? Is there a new path forward? What does the template look like? Will audiences want something radically new? Who will those audiences be? Quote. And then they went on to say, quote, we have learned a great deal about the answers to those questions. Yes, new ways can work. Artistic excellence can be achieved. 
But the reality is, succeeding on Broadway means not only producing excellent work with artistic merit, it also means creating an audience for it. And how much time it takes to find and grow new audiences is out of sync with the tight time frames for audience building and awareness. Quote. So they are chalking this up to the fact that they gave this show a chance. However, they weren't given enough time to build up the stamina and get more audiences in to see this show. But I did a lot of research on Here Lies Love in the past whenever we found out it was coming to Broadway. This show has been around for decades. This was just the first time it was performed on Broadway, but it has been performed many a time previously. One would think, you know, what this reminds me of is Town, how that went on a tour before it ever came on Broadway. And it was over on the West End. Like, it really ran circles around Broadway before ever actually arriving on Broadway. And so when it arrived, it did really well because it had a huge fan base. And I don't want to compare these two because obviously they are different. Not everything is going to work the same way. But these are similar, definitely similar situations. So you would hope that Here Lays Love, if it did well, whenever it was in other theaters, not on Broadway, once it came to Broadway, it would bring those fans with them. And it turns out that it just wasn't able to achieve that, which is really, really sad. And this is such a unique show. I give it a million, a million times credit for how unique it was. And the story is really different than anything that we have on Broadway right now. But... Something doesn't click. It didn't get me in a seat and it didn't get a lot of people in a seat. And I just, I hate it. I hate it because it's such a unique story. It had a really good team behind it, but not everything's going to shake out. Not everything's going to work. And this just did not work. But it sounds like they would have liked a little bit more grace, probably from the theater that they were renting. Um, and they probably were just booted out. They said, you're not bringing in enough revenue to keep y'all in here and we can bring in another show that'll make us a lot more. So they were probably kicked to the curb, sounds like. Um, and they would have liked a little more time to try and bring audiences in. So that's unfortunate. And uh, that's our last news story. So I hate to end this on a sour note. Um, but guys, we have something to look forward to. There's always, you know, I, I just saw spam a lot today. So we need to always look on the bright side of life. And uh, I'm excited to unveil my show art here soon to you guys. And yeah, we got a lot of fun things coming. And uh, that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of From the Mezzanine. You can find my show links down in the show notes below or by simply typing in From the Mezzanine Podcast. I am on Instagram and TikTok, so go find me there. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star review wherever you are listening today, as well as send this episode to your musical theater bestie. I am sure that they're going to enjoy it just as much as you do. And thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.